0: We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 25 today. We have been going through this series on 1 Peter, and if you are unaware, this book is written to those who are under persecution. And something that we talked about on our Wednesday night class is trying to fathom or understand what it is like to go through persecution. There are many times I have felt this kind of self-pity and I've loathed myself, I'm being persecuted right now. Who, who has been in their feelings a little too much before and thought that maybe you were under attack? Okay, and as, as much as we can raise our hands to that and say that, it doesn't compare to the people that Peter is writing to, right? These are, these are people that are truly being tortured for their faith. There, there's a movie that I, actually I'd, I'd recommend that I brought up Wednesday night. It's a movie called Silence. And although you you got to be in for a long one, it's about three and a half hours long. But it's about two Jesuit priests that go over to China, and they are seeking out a missionary that went over there. And this this takes place in like the 1700s, and they're they're going to find this missionary that went over there that never came back. And they get there and they they find a man who has renounced his faith and he is just living the Buddhist lifestyle. Discouraged by that, they decide to start converting people to Christ, and as they're converting people to Christ, they're seeing many come to know him, and they've got a church, and it's thriving and growing, and next thing you know, the government catches wind of it and starts taking people and, and telling them to renounce their faith or they'll be killed, Well, as they start killing people, they decide that we are going to really put the pressure not only on the people who are being converted, but these Jesuit priests. So they they take them prisoner, and then they are imprisoned with all the people that they converted. And they start grabbing the people that they converted, and they start bringing them in front of the Jesuit priest and telling the Jesuit priest that they need to renounce their faith or they're going to kill the converted person right in front of them. They held tight to their faith, and they watched people be beheaded in front of them, beaten, and tortured to death. I can't fathom that kind of persecution. I try and wrap my head around it, and it's impossible. We don't know what that's like. We truly don't know what martyrdom is like because we don't see it in our culture. But you can imagine the stresses of going through that and how a church might react to persecution. And so they are looking at their lives, hanging in the balance. And Peter, what he wants to do is he wants to redirect their thoughts. Who needs their thoughts redirected all the time? I know I do. And of all the places he can tell them, uh, of all the ways he can tell them to think, he tells them that you need to love one another deeply. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 22 through 25. It says you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love. Everyone say sincere. Sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever, because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like the flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And the word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. God, I pray that you will sear it to our hearts. Lord, I'm just a fool up here, but Lord, you, what your Holy Spirit speaks, what you speak in truth, Lord, those are things that last. Those are things that remain. And so I pray that, Lord, that be imprinted on our hearts. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know that 80s song, What is Love? Baby, don't hurt me, don't hurt me no more. You know, I, I think about love in our culture, and, and there's this great misconception on love. And I really believe it started in the sexual revolution. And it just it, it got out of control that, that most of the understanding today, if you're talking about the gen, general populace here in the United States... When it comes to relating God and others is how we we love one another and we tell each other to love one another. But there's this misconception that I believe has devolved into simply this sexual erotic concept. And even God's standard for love shared in marriage, it's not regularly practiced anymore, and we see that even even in the church, right? I want you to hear what, what Paul illustrates as God's standard of what even love in the bounds of marriage should look like. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 26a, it says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, and Christ is the head of the church. I know ladies first hear that without reading the rest. and like, uh, eh, don't exactly like that. It says he is the Savior of his body, the church. But listen to this. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. You know, if we are to look around this world, we're not seeing godly examples of love in marriage. And even in the realm of the church, we often don't see that. And if we're not seeing it in the person that we have dedicated our lives to, how much more rare is it to see amongst brothers and sisters in Christ? It gets pretty rare. And as I spoke to a little earlier, much of the view of this love and intimacy is unfortunately seen through that lens of sex. And I want to be very clear, it's not that that kind of love in and of itself is sinful. It's not, and it definitely has its place in the eyes of God within that bounds of of marriage. But what we repeatedly see in Scripture is that love at its core is giving yourself, giving your desires up for someone else's sake. We see this in the shortcomings of relationships based off of their longevity. How often do you see people trade friends for friends for friends or, you know, an intimate partner for another intimate partner, right? And so, so we, we, we see it in many aspects of our lives. And what I have found is when we learn to completely give up our desires for the sake of one another, and that person that we're giving that up for does the same for us, and you commit to that every day, you will discover there is an unbreakable bond that is centered on God. Who wants that for their relationships? That's what I want. And something that we need to look at is that scriptural love. You know, there are four different kinds of love mentioned in scripture. And all of them, at the very basis, they are good. Now, I believe that if you have, if you have this off balance of one love to the next, that, that you, you become wayward a little bit in your misunderstanding of love. There's eros, which we just talked about. It's that, it's that erotic love that God designed for us. But too much of that, or the misuse of that, is bad. There's philia, and this is the term used for brotherly love. There's storgi, and this is familial love. It's, it's a natural and this instinctual affection, such as a love a parent might have towards their offspring, or vice versa. And then there's agape, and that's that self-sacrificing love. And ultimately, we know that this love was defined by Jesus going to the cross in our place. And as I'm walking through life and I'm thinking about how to apply this love, I wrestle with things in my life that last and things that don't last. I think of relationships that I know probably have an expiration date. Let's be real. Coworkers. For most of you, that means those relationships have an expiration date. Maybe you are renting the house you're in and your neighbors, you're thinking that relationship is going to have an expiration date. And then there are the ones that are permanent, like like Family. Things like maybe who you choose to marry. But our main text today, if we're going to go back to that, it refers to people being like a flower in the field. And what that reminds me of, that with all of us, no, 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 no matter how long we have committed to each other, there is a great fragility and lack of longevity of a flower in the field. And so if I'm to put that in the realm and concept of my life, This life is very temporary. It's not lasting. Now, in the moment, that flower is beautiful, but it doesn't last. It fades away. One of the goals that Wendy and I have in life is what we choose to invest in. Wanting to invest in things that last and not things that, you know, decay or get old quickly. And so, like, even when we buy a vehicle, there's there's so much to consider. Um, if we have to buy used, it's maintenance history, right? And what I've learned the hard way, I'm going to step on toes. Here. If it's a Ford, yeah, I'm going to forget about it. There's some, There's some hard life lessons saying that right now. And... We want, when we purchase things, we want it to be quality. We want it to be things that last. And I don't know about you, but when I was young, we couldn't afford much. And so if we, we couldn't, at the time, buy something that was quality. So whether it was furniture, appliances, or mattresses, those things didn't hold up. They didn't last. And so we changed our approach to a long-term thinking of saving up to find value in certain things that we want to last. But even in those things... It's relatively short-term. Most vehicles are going to last you about 15 years if it's used regularly. Now compare these things that don't last with also the span of your life against eternity. You know, when Scripture refers to the span of our lives, it calls it a vapor. Just this quick breath. Right now, in the early morning, if you go outside and you exhale, you are going to see your breath, but in a short moment, it's going to be gone. And so to put our lives in that context, that it's going to go very quickly, it's going to cause us to do one or two things. Be eagerly awaiting eternity or fearful of death. And those who are scared to death, they're scared because they don't have any hope. I know Christians that are even scared of death. And I think if you truly understand what God has for you, if you understand like, what he has prepared and the investment that he's placed in your life, you're not going to be scared, but you're going to long for it and you're going to be hopeful. But you have to start examining. What captivates you as a person in your relationship with God? What are your thoughts captivated by? Are they captivate, captivated by things that are permanent or captivated by things that are, that are temporary? If I'm to look at my life and often the things that I am thinking about all the time, it's things that don't last it's things that pull me away from God, and I realize I am I'm a very fickle person. I am a person that I get steered toward one thing or to the next really easily. You know, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 7, says, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. And something that I have to say... Except I am so fragile, but yet God still, for whatever reason, has entrusted me with this message and this life-changing truth that can be transforming. But what am I captivated by? This week it was about a stolen truck, right, and some things going on in my build project in Thailand. Those were the things that I was captivated by. And there's so many things that I can miss along the way. If I choose to be captivated by those things, I can miss that neighbor that might be in need. I can not be listening intently to that phone call that comes in where someone wants to tell me their problems because I'm thinking about my own. It can be my wife that when she's having a bad day and comes home from work and I just tune it out or maybe I'm more quick to talk about what's going on with me. More than hear what's going on with her. Yet God chooses us in all our weakness to say, this message, this hope, this love, all this, I entrust to you to go out into the world with. It's a daunting task. But we have to be captivated by the correct things. And Christ has entrusted us with that. It says in Matthew 10, 38 through 39, and I'm going to be finishing up here very quickly. It says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And as hard as it is, this wrestling match that I find myself in, I'm I'm so fragile and I'm so captivated by the world, Jesus is constantly reminding me that I need to submit everything that I am to him. My desires, the things that I hold valuable, that are deteriorating, those things aren't that important. They're definitely not important to God. Now, God can use some of those things for his glory if I surrender that to him. So I'm not telling you that you need to decide to sell all you have and just say, God, I'm totally yours. But to walk in his purpose each and every day and know what it means to carry your cross. Imagine if God said, you know what, you had this dream of going and being an architect, I'm calling you into ministry. God, I don't like that plan. I want to do my own thing. God's way is greater, and he understands that. And hopefully I come around to understanding that, right? Because this love that he has shown us is so much greater than anything we can imagine. And Kelton kind of alluded to that today in worship, where the goodness of God and the things that he has poured out, we're just trying to wrap our arms and mind around. Because his depths are so great, we couldn't possibly fathom or know what it was for him to give up his son, who is with him in the splendor of heaven, and as I alluded to last week, Hebrews chapter 2, where it says that he lower, Jesus was made lower than the angels, came down to the earth and understood what true human fragility is like and suffering. And so God the Son walked with us so that he could relate to us and bridge us back to God. God. And that love that he has shown is the standard by which we should live for one another. That self-sacrificing love. John chapter 15, 12 through 13, and this is where I'm going to end today. It says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. If I was to examine that scripture and really think about what love is, in the eyes of God versus what love is in my eyes, there aren't many I'd probably die for. because of my misunderstanding of God's love. And if you're being honest with yourself, if you truly made a list of people that you'd jump in front of a bullet for, in our humanness, it's probably pretty small. Yet I serve a God who sent his son to die for the very people that tortured him yelled obscenities at him and hung him on a cross and that's love that I need to understand because a little bit of the world goes a long way in my life and I often choose who I want to love and who I don't but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life that's not limited to a select group of people that's for me that's for you And he's just calling out to you saying, embrace it. And what's going to happen is the closer that we get to God, the more that we're going to become like him. But we can't lose sight. We can't lose focus. We can't can't be distracted by the challenges of this world. One day I do believe persecution is going to come. Are you going to be capable of, of showing love even to those who are persecuting you. I need the Spirit of God. You know, I think if it happened right now, it'd be every man and woman for themselves. But Peter's saying, no, no, no. 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 Love each other. Give yourself up for one another. This life is short. Don't be distracted that, 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 yeah, you could, you could die today for your faith. Don't be distracted by that. Submit and love one another. It's so hard. But in order for me to get to that place, I need His Spirit. mine on its own. It's not good. It's not good. So what I want us to do right now, I want us to just submit to the Spirit of God and let Him reveal in us not only what we've been captivated by, but how we can be more like him. So let's just surrender to God right now, Father God. Lord, for all the people in this room, that if they just choose to be real and honest with you in this moment, would say, Lord, I'm a flawed individual. There's so many aspects of my life where I don't reflect you the way I need to. And God, I'm seeking you to prioritize. Help me prioritize a right way of living that brings honor to you and your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, for the distractions, the things that have captivated me, God, may I surrender each and every thought unto you. That, Lord, we be be men and women who, even though we're fragile human beings, we recognize we are carrying this light that can transform our neighborhoods, our cities this world, Lord. If we just seek to genuinely live for you, God, that good news will go forth. God, I pray that we just be people that surrender each and every day to you.